Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. I've got a guest, Randy Ford, on today. He is a cycling advocate, uh, definitely an avid e-biker, if I can call him that, uh, and has some interesting knowledge and experience with The Loop. And many of you know I put a video out about that quite some time ago, and I think this is going to be a great follow-up conversation to that video. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. Thanks again for listening, and let's jump right into another episode. Well, thank you, Randy, for being a guest on the podcast today. Well, Kyle, it's a pleasure to be here. I hope you know the uh, tiny can of worms you opened with that video, <laughs> and it's been, it's been wonderful here locally to, uh, to be able to leverage the information you presented during to a very wide audience to try to help put some pressure on the expansion of e-biking on the loop here in Tucson. Well, I guess we might as well just jump right in and, and start there. I'm curious, you said it put some pressure on what happened from your perspective? You know, a lot of times just shining the light on something on a fairly wide audience uh, can make a big difference. One of the things that I noticed, uh, I, I happened to catch your podcast about a day or two after you had posted it. I saw the tremendous response it was getting, and I kind of watched it as the views climbed above 75,000 or so. And uh, But what I was most curious about is the number of comments people were making. It was a very animated... It was a good discussion. <laughs> yeah. That's what really caught my eye because I only recently started riding again last year. In fact, it was several months before you put the video out because the e-bike was sort of the key to helping me get back on a bike and out to overcome a knee problem, which prevented me from putting much downward pressure on the pedals. So I had been avidly e-biking on the loop with my uh, ADA permit for some time before the video popped up. And I thought, you know, this is something that it's not right that the e-bikes are just blanket prohibited on the on the loop. So I started taking a look at the comments that you were gathering. And I have a friend locally who owns a bicycle shop, and he's concerned about the same thing I am. And we had already started trying to figure out how we can approach the uh, people who have authority over the loop in terms of asking them to review the policy. And then, boom, your podcast showed up. And it turned out that, that the comments gave us a lot of leverage because it was filled with people saying things like, well, if that's what Tucson's going to do, then we're not going to come there this winter like we were going to to ride our, our bikes or our e-bikes. Yeah, I saw a lot of comments like that where they're like, oh, I'll go to this other city or I'll tourist to this other place, and which was a surprise to me, but logical and makes sense. I mean, if, if they're worried about bikes being allowed, then they may just choose somewhere that's more open to it. Exactly. And it's interesting. There's sort of two camps in Tucson. One is the one that wants to bring some tourists back and leverage the loop as a tourist destination, which in fact it is. Mm -hmm. I've met now a number of couples and families who actually specifically come here to ride their bikes on the loop. Most of the politicians don't realize that. And what we did was I gathered up all the specific comments like that and put them together in a file. And uh, James uh, Lorenzen from the Pedigo store, the friend I mentioned earlier and I, we sent them around to a variety of different travel and tourist folks and uh, Pima County supervisors and things like that, saying, is this the kind of press we want out there about can't come here and ride their e-bikes on the loop? Uh-oh. <laughs> You're right. I did open a can of worms there. 
Oh, that's okay. It was a can that needed to be opened. We just couldn't find the opening, so you showed up. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's one of those things where, and I don't know if you remember this from the original video that I put out, because Jessica is from that area and was familiar with it, it was like, hey, there's this massive loop. This would make a great video. And it wasn't until we were planning the video out and kind of doing some research about the loop that I started finding comments that e-bikes weren't allowed. And I was like, oh, like I was just on the county's website. I was I didn't even know that was a thing. And then and then suddenly the topic of the video changed to, well, why isn't it allowed? And and uh, it was really interesting how that all played out. It kind of all just happened by chance. But I'm, I'm glad that it sounds like the result was positive, or at least I hope it was. We haven't got quite gotten there. So I'm curious what the reaction was when you started sharing that information with the county officials and things like that. Well, it's funny because the reaction came from what you did initially, because uh, one of the things that you did, which I really appreciated, was you put a link there if you wanted to make a comment directly to the, the people that run the loop, here's the link. And a lot of those people did. Good, good. What flagged me that the video existed is that I look at the loops. They actually have a Facebook page. And I looked at that Facebook page and started seeing all kinds of pushback from the loop, restating over and over again the position that the loop had, that motorized vehicles aren't allowed on the loop, blah, blah, blah. And, and the fact that they never differentiated between the types of motorized vehicles and the, uh, they're just a blanket prohibition against them. And uh, that, that prohibition has been in place for many years. And when the state of Arizona changed their law just about two years ago, equating e-bikes with conventional pedal bikes, Pima County never addressed the law. They just hung their hat on the fact that, well, it said in the law that local jurisdictions can issue additional prohibitions. Right. What they didn't realize is that the prohibitions had to be reenacted after the law, and they never changed theirs. Mm, interesting. I did not know that. If anybody ever gets a ticket for having ridden an e-bike on the loop, which to my knowledge and, and research has never happened, and they challenge it in court, they could get the prohibition challenged by Pima County. But hopefully we'll have e-bikes uh, broadly available on the loop well before that happens. Got it. Well, that's a great thing to know that it's not quite done correctly legally. <laughs> so like you said, if challenged in court, yeah, they'd have a little bit of a challenge proving that, or, or maybe it'd give you some, some ammo uh, needed to make an official change at some point. So now that that discussion has come up, have any official changes happened or, or is all the legal wording, everything still the same at this point? Well, the legal wording still officially is in place, but there's some behind the scenes stuff that's going on. There is a group in Tucson called the Bicycle Advisory Committee, and it's a multi-jurisdictional, it's actually an official committee um, it's administered, I think, by the by actually by Pima County member of their staff. It gathers representation from uh, law enforcement agencies, members of the public. Uh, there is an actual bicycle advisory group that you get actually get elected to or appointed to, and they also have representatives from a number of uh, government jurisdictions, uh, local towns, and uh, and that sort of thing. That group has been meeting by Zoom uh, kind of on a once a month basis, mostly, and they're tasked by various entities, uh, uh, governmental entities, for making recommendations about pedestrian and bicycling policy for this area. And that's been a topic of discussion among that group, and the county has solicited a recommendation for what the e-bike profile, specifically on the loop, should look like. 
and after I, I'm a, I'm not a member of that committee, but I attend as a uh, as a member of the public. Mm-hmm. What that group hammered out was a it was a pretty good recommendation, uh, fairly generic, that the problem that people are complaining about is not about the technology. It's about behavior, people going too fast, people not obeying the speed, you know, people not being considered. And that's a, not a technology problem. That's a behavior problem. <laughs> right. That's exclusive of whether a bike has a motor on it or not. You can <laughs> be a road biker or a mountain biker or who knows what and, and be causing a problem on a trail. Exactly. And I've been the scary times that I've been past. It's always been a Lance, uh, a Lance Armstrong wannabe. <laughs> Um, zooming by at about 30 miles an hour and not right. saying a word. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what they recommended. And uh, that recommended has, recommendation has been received and is uh, under advisement right now. So that's a positive thing. It hasn't had a result yet. But another interesting thing popped up that I was part of the catalyst to bring to the public's attention. One of the things I discovered when I started riding on the loop is this massive, huge, long network, um, 136 miles of trail. And a lot of people that like to ride the loop aren't doing the 136 miles. They want to ride eight miles, have a cup of coffee, and then ride back to their car or in the afternoon, have a cold beverage or lunch someplace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like anybody likes to ride their bicycle. And uh, there's a lot of maps out, but there aren't maps that, for example, show what's nearby and where you get on and where you get off and, and a little bit about what you see along the way because there'd never been anything put together for that. So I got pencil and paper out and my video camera, and I rode every inch of the loop a number of times and started documenting everything. And the result was a book that came out uh, right after Thanksgiving called The Loop Atlas and Guidebook. It's 122 pages, maps, uh, all kinds of photographs, aerial photographs. Uh, I've got a friend with a drone, and he took me 43 or 50 pictures of sections of the loop from the air. And it's been wonderfully well-received. But in the process, I interviewed a lot of local officials and to try to find out from them what their thoughts were about e-bikes on the loop. Because the loop runs through several different kinds of political jurisdictions. One is, first of all, Pima County is the overall administrator of the loop because they, they're the ones who provided the funds to actually build and connect all the pathways. So there's a section within what we call unincorporated Pima County, which is any part of Pima County, which is not another jurisdiction like the city of Tucson, the town of Marana, the town of Oro Valley, that sort of thing. Pima County runs and is responsible for the loop in those areas. Right. In the town of Marana, which is northwest of Tucson, and the town of Oro Valley, which is straight north of Tucson, um, they sort of share the responsibility for the loop in terms of maintenance and law enforcement and that sort of thing. And it turns out that after interviewing both the law enforcement agencies in Oro Valley and in Marana, as well as getting to know the parks and recreation directors in both of those towns, they are delighted to have people ride any kind of bike on the loop as long as it doesn't have a a gas motor on it. So they welcome e-bikes on their sections of the loop, which in Marana's case is about 15 miles and in Oro Valley's case is about, about 12 miles plus the an additional 40 miles that uh, have connected almost identical to the loop kind of trail that's uh, that's attached. So so there is a lot of e-biking possibilities uh, on the loop and near the loop. Uh, it's just not the entire loop uh, open to e-bikes um, at this point. Okay. A lot of discussion going on with the right people, it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like. And, and I've sort of kind of moved that along. It was funny when the book came out, the guys at the loop 
didn't know what to do with me because <laughs> I advocate for e-bike responsible e-bike usage on the loop, and that uh, violates their official position. So they even have a store that sells loop merch, and uh, I submitted it to them and said, "This would be a great thing to sell in your store, wouldn't it?" <laughs> they've been they've been dragging their feet on that since Thanksgiving, and never still have given it an okay. In the meantime, we've sold hundreds and hundreds of copies in local bike stores and on Amazon and and uh, those kind of places. So I guess it's their loss, but it's it's sort of interesting watching the politics play out. Well, one day they might come around, and uh, by then, hopefully, most people will already have the book. <laughs> but if not, you know, if they do have it, I'm sure they would sell more copies of it because I, I have it in my hands right now. And, and I will admit that I haven't read the whole thing because it's pretty thick, <laughs> but uh, you know, I've skimmed through it and it's uh you know, it's, it's pretty cool that you've, like you said, had your friend with a drone taking photos, there's maps. I definitely think anybody that's considering, you know, visiting as a tourist, this looks like pretty complete guide for everything on the entire hundred some mile trail. So looks very well done so I'm, and thank you for sending me a copy of it i do appreciate that i'll definitely be uh, bringing it if i ever make it down there myself well, that'll be great there's a guy who was sort of responsible for getting the loop going by the name of roy schoonover who's since passed away but they call him the loop's favorite uncle here in town i'm discovering that the loop's got a lot of uncles and aunts out there that are helping trying to promote it so i'm going to add you to that list <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> because I was an official auntie. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, she's been a great uh, big part of this, you know, getting footage and, and connections with you and talking with you and meeting with other people in, you know, Arizona. And, uh, and for me, it wasn't about the loop specifically. I mean, that was obviously what we were talking about. It was the precedence, you know, of what happens in one place. And especially if it's something big like the loop is i don't know if it's the largest trail network like this in the u.s but it's certainly one of the largest if it isn't but i feel like it sets a precedence to what's going to happen in other counties other states other cities and what is being done there just didn't really make sense that's why i was like we got we got to bring this up we got to talk about it yeah and it was great that you did you know yeah it isn't the largest but it's certainly one of the most unique it travels along five different river watersheds that actually have water in some parts of the year, this being the Arizona Sonoran Desert. And uh, it goes everything from riparian area. You'll see a lot of wildlife that's unique to the desert, bobcats, javelina, that sort of thing. There's about four sections on the loop where you ride right past large stands of native saguaro out in the wild, and which is a which is a cactus only found uh, in this area. When you're from Wisconsin and you ride the loop, which is I was doing yesterday with a nice couple I met, they're just constantly enthralled with the idea of the things that they see here and the beautiful weather in the winter and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's a special resource. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for putting the time together to put together that book and educate people on it. I think that's a, just a great guide for anybody, whether they live there or they're coming to visit. So pretty cool. I'm pretty impressed with that. That wasn't much of a sacrifice. I had more fun doing it than people have reading it, I think. Well, that's good too. Uh, it sounds like you're getting a lot of writing in do you ride your e-bike every day when the weather's nice, or uh, it sounds like you're doing that quite a bit? I'd love to do that, but it probably averages about three to four days a week. Okay. Uh, and I, take, I usually take bigger rides. You know, I go 20 to 30 miles uh, when I do ride, so that makes it pretty nice. And I assume the loop is uh, just one of your top spots that you're always going to because there's so many places you can go on it. 
Yeah, and there's, uh, it's interesting. I, I live, uh, my subdivision is actually right on the loop. There's a little, I can go through a little gate okay. at the back and I'm right there. So that makes it super handy. Got it. But I think I heard an estimate that about 60% of the population of Pima County lives within a mile of the loop. And there's tons of parking areas nearby that you can actually, you know, if you can throw your bike on a rack or in the trunk or in the back of your pickup and head over there, there's tons of places that are safe to park and, and you can ride as little or as much as you want. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I mean, especially on an e-bike, if you can get to a nice trail system within a mile, that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> that it is. That's huge. That's uh, yeah. that's pretty crazy to think about. I mean, it makes sense the way they designed the loop. Obviously, somebody had that kind of in mind. Let's make it accessible to as many people as possible and go around the entire city. And and who knows? Hopefully, someday the loop will connect and intertwine even more. Which you know, I don't see any reason why why it wouldn't. In fact, that it has already started. Uh, there's a lot of development that has taken off. Places are starting to use access to the loop as a marketing tool. There's a uh, really nice luxury apartment complex not far from my house. Uh, it was called Cortland before, and now they changed the name to Cortland on the Loop. <laughs> Don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Yeah, they're definitely using that. Yeah, exactly. And there's uh, a lot of additional trail being constructed. There's, I, I think I roughly figured that there's uh, about 85 miles of paved shared-use trail connected to the loop that isn't, quote-unquote, the loop throughout Tucson and then out into Marana and into uh, Oro Valley. The scale of the thing surprises people because the inner loop section right around downtown Tucson is about 53 miles long. But in northwest Marana, all the way down to the southeast portion of the loop, you could get on your bike and ride straight for 54 miles without hitting the same area twice. And east-west, it's about a, it's spread out over about a 25-mile area. So it, it really does cover a lot of territory. And I understand that I heard you correctly earlier that you've ridden around the entirety of the loop. Obviously not all at once, but you've done a section here, a section there to make sure for your book and everything else that you've covered it every inch of it or as much as possible i've got video on uh on all the different uh, from one end to the other and uh and around the center and that sort of thing so i have an e-bike rack on the back of my chevy suburban and uh so i can i can ride the sections and then do 25 or 30 miles up in one corner of the loop and pick it all up that way Awesome. Well, that sounds like uh, a ton of fun. I wish we had such a thing here in my county in California. And obviously there are places in California that do. We're not quite there, at least for paved trails, I should say. Our county is really big on building multi-use off-road trails. So we have a lot of mountain biking trails, hiking trails, horsebacking trails, that sort of thing. So that's a huge thing in, in this particular area, which now that I think about it, Probably makes a lot more sense because uh, it's not very flat <laughs> out here. So actually paving everything would be uh, an extreme challenge. But, you know, we're kind of having some of the same issues or discussions where a lot of areas are specifically saying no to e-bikes, but the right people are talking about it. So hopefully it will change and kind of people open their minds a little bit about e-bikes aren't so bad. They're not this bad technological, whatever. I don't know what they think it is, but you made a comment about the snowboard skiing thing. Yeah. Uh, I think in your video and it, it this right. very much has that same flavor is that everybody thought that snowboards were evil and, and <laughs> who knows what kind of crime and, and uh, deprivation is going to happen as a result of allowing snowboards. 
and then they allowed snowboards and guess what? Nobody cares. <laughs> Every, everybody's happy. Yeah. The, uh, it's funny you mentioned that cause, uh, you probably, I'm guessing haven't seen it yet, but yesterday I released a video because we have a lot of snow here pulling one of our employees around on a snowboard behind an e-bike. So <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're really throwing everything out there and, and uh, just trying to give people fun ideas. You know, it's all just people having fun. People aren't out there trying to cause accidents or terrorize people on the trails by going too fast. I think the loop is like most places, you know, the average person is like you, you know, maybe they had a knee problem or or something else or you know, and they just want to get out and get some exercise and have some fun. E-bikes are just a, the best way to do it. Right. And, you know, the 200 miles I ride a week is mm-hmm. opposed to the zero miles I was riding a week before. Right. So the and, and studies, as you, I'm sure you've seen, that have shown that people with e-bikes actually get more exercise overall because mm-hmm. they ride the e-bikes a lot more than conventional bikers do. So right. kind of an interesting side benefit that nobody seems to be aware of. So I guess that's part of our job to educate them. Absolutely. You got the loop book, you're riding your e-bike. So what's next? Uh, this seemed like it was a pretty big project. Are you working on anything else like this? I just have to ask. I'm curious. Yeah, thanks for asking. I, I'm actually working on a revision. I, I don't know if you've heard the term mission creep before. I was just originally going to put together some maps and so forth for myself. Okay. And then when I started showing the maps to people, they said, you know, it would be cool. And then they would give me their list of three or four things they'd like to see. You know, could you put restaurants? Could you put like little maps with um, little icons where the McDonald's is and the Starbucks is and the, <laughs> and the cool brew pubs. And, and uh, how about hotels and motels and RV parks when people come and uh, that kind of thing. So I started adding to the list and uh, pretty soon the mission creep was killing me. I was getting trying to throw everything in there. And I finally had to stop and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I made a list of the only things that were going to make it into this first edition of the book or the following items. But there's some things about the loop that are fascinating, and that's going to be the second edition, which I'm sort of working on uh, gathering information for right now. There's 54 public artwork projects on the loop, and more being planned like crazy. And when people find found a few of those in my book, they said, I ride past here all the time, and I never knew this was here. That's funny. There's also a whole dozens and dozens of historical sites on the loop, everything from pit houses from a thousand years ago to when the cavalry was in Tucson to Spanish conquistadors going to San Francisco, that kind of thing. So that's a whole nother chapter that could be out there. There's some things about, I've had a number of restaurants that I listed on the loop and I've listed over 200 restaurants and uh, places to stop and get something to eat or drink um, that said, yeah, it would be really great to have a little paragraph about my restaurant in here. Is that a possibility? So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm kicking those ideas around for the second edition, uh, but I'm going to spend some time relaxing and riding in the meantime. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, I mean, it almost seems like based on what you're describing, I mean, if you wanted to, it, it may not all fit into one book. You know, I'm just thinking out loud here. So don't make me give you too many ideas. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just thinking, man, with all the artwork things like, you know, that could be a book all in itself because to try and pack it into one, I'm sure that's just, uh, you know, this thing could be hundreds and hundreds of pages thick if you really wanted it to be. I think you did a good job of stopping and saying, no, no, we got to We got to stop somewhere and, and just get it out there first. <laughs> Otherwise, you go crazy. Yep. I looked at who my audience was and it's people who want to come here and ride the loop or people who live here that want to find out how they can take better advantage of it. And that's where I 
kind of had the initial cutoff. And, uh, yeah. and, I, and I, think I, I think I got pretty close to the sweet spot because the feedback I've been getting has been pretty positive. So I got to ask, since you are the most familiar with the loop, uh, at least as far as people I know, by far, especially from putting the, together this book, I'd be surprised if somebody knows more than you do about it. If you had to pick top three or something, what are your favorite places or things to do on the loop? That's going to be one of the chapters in the next book is uh, you know, <laughs> okay. top five or whatever. And uh, one of them is uh, about 15 miles from where I live. Tucson is a an incredible city as far as the diversity of restaurants. In fact, it's one of the few cities of gastronomy that uh, have been designated by UNESCO because of the diversity of restaurants here. I'm a big fan of uh, Mexican food and uh, and the Hispanic culture in almost all its forms. And there are certain neighborhoods close to downtown that may be in their heyday or maybe in decline and maybe up and coming, but several of them have large clusters of uh, Mexican restaurants that are all local. It's not like Chi-Chi's Chain or Taco Bell's. These are all actually locally owned restaurants that yeah. have some kind of specialty that's amazing. And there's one such place just north of downtown on Grande Avenue. Uh, they call it Barrio Hollywood. And there's in a short stretch of about six or seven uh, very quiet blocks. There is, uh, I think, a dozen amazing Mexican restaurants and uh, places to get something to eat or drink and a few uh, interesting tourist attractions. So that's one of my favorite places to take people and ride to, get a cup of coffee or maybe a, a burrito and, and head on back. There's also some amazing sections that ride you right up either next to next to a mountain range or something like that. And in the extreme part of northwestern Morana, uh, there is a section by what's called Aver Valley Road. The Santa Cruz River is um, the largest watershed. All the rivers locally sort of empty into the Santa Cruz, and the loop travels along the Santa Cruz for almost 40 miles. This is in the extreme northwestern part of the loop's uh, section in Morana. There is a spot where a reclaimed water system that's run by the, uh, I believe it's either the city or the county, puts a, an amazing amount of water back into the Santa Cruz to recharge the local water table. But the net effect is under one of the bridges, there's this amazing waterfall that um, for the next several miles, there's water in the river constantly. So starting from there uh, at Ina Road, all the way out to Aver Valley Road, which is about 10 miles, there's an amazing ride there that's culminated by uh, a little gorge that you ride through where there's a sort of a mountain range slope on one side that's all covered with saguaros. And on the other side is almost like a tropical rainforest where you can <laughs> hear the water running down. So that's pretty rare for being in the desert. And that's yeah. one of my favorite spots to ride as well. Okay. So we got the local cuisine and then uh, you've got some just awesome local scenery, it sounds like, are your favorite spots. Yep, and then down in the southwest, I would have to pick as my third one. There's a wide open, you're away from the mountains, and there's a wide grassland. And you ride through an area that's uh, between a railroad track and a freeway, but you can't really tell either one's there unless a train's coming by. Mm -hmm. And that's a section that Jessica wrote on uh, for the video. When you ride on that section, it's you can almost imagine what it must have been like for people coming out here in wagons back in the 1800s. Um, big wide grassland area and uh, wide open with the mountains in the distance. And that's kind of a popular place to ride as well as a, a real enjoyable place to ride. So that's three of them. Well, good. I like that. Those are three good picks. The scenery sounds like an awesome place to ride. That sounds like that would be definitely a, a top one to visit uh, if I was going to be in the area. Because I, you know, riding bikes is fun no matter where you go. 
But I feel like if you just have some nice scenery around you, it just kind of changes the whole experience and makes it more enjoyable. So I don't know what it is about being out in nature and seeing that, but I feel like that's a big part of e-biking, in my opinion, is people want to go places that they couldn't normally go, whether that's to the top of a mountain or just being able to go 10, 20 miles along a really scenic trail you know, that they wouldn't be able to see as much of. I mean, on an e-bike, you can see more of the outdoors than you could on a regular bike. No matter how fit you are, <laughs> you can always see more. Exactly. That's a huge benefit. So awesome. That sounds really cool. I've met a number of RVers because uh, there are seven RV parks that are either act literally right on the loop or within a, within a half mile of the loop. Okay. What I've noticed is that people who used to tow a car behind their RV now have a couple of e-bikes or maybe some folding e-bikes in yep. some coats inside their motorhome, and, uh, and they use that to get around when they're when they're someplace. So I didn't realize how how big of a uh, representation the RVers uh, have for uh, in the e bike footprint. You might say. Yeah, that's becoming extremely popular because it's it's one of those situations where it's almost like the the perfect storm, if you will. Towing a car hurts your mileage. It's more expensive. You know, it's more weight behind it. There's all these things that go involved with towing a car, but an e-bike is just so much easier and it's cheaper and you can see more places than you could in the car. So yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm hearing that a lot. We're seeing it a lot. Uh, definitely a huge uh, potential with um, anybody who has an RV, it seems like, is, is either looking at e-bikes or already has one, <laughs> it seems like. You ask me what's next, you're probably completely unaware of this, but I just bought a 35-amp Bolton controller for my rad bike, and uh, Good, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> that. That's going to be my new pocket rocket. Hopefully that doesn't spoil you too much. Yeah, I've got a couple of sections that I ride uh, you know, on the way to places that uh, consist in one case of about a, a mile and a half uphill, about a about a five or six percent grade. So uh -huh. that controller is going to be the big difference between me being happy at the top and how I am now. So. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. You'll fly up that hill now. It's a slippery downhill slope. You add more power, then you add more battery, then you add bigger brakes. And... Yeah, I've already done that too. <laughs> so Good. I've got a dual battery set up on my rad. So I've got about 65 miles of range, which is great. Awesome. Yeah. That means you can do those 20, 30 mile rides you mentioned, and you never have to worry about your battery running out. Yeah. My range anxiety just disappeared completely. So that's wonderful. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. This is all really great news. It sounds like, uh, is there anything you think people can do, whether they're local or not to kind of keep the conversation alive and keep things moving in the right direction? Yeah, I think the the thing that you recommended in your um, in your video is a good one. I think continuing to provide feedback to the loop. Pima County has a web page, and on that web page, if you just do the Google the loop Pima County, you'll get to that web page, and you can give them feedback directly to the county on the web page, and you can go to the loop's Facebook page. Just type the loop in the uh, Facebook search box, and uh, that will get you to their page. And just the constructive comments are the things that really help. You know, the things that people think, uh, people who make measured, well-informed comments are the ones that help the most in this case. Mm -hmm. Not Johnny who wants to ride a Super 73, 35 miles an hour. <laughs> right. That's, that's not helpful at all. No, it isn't. But it's the, it's the couple who, they, we have e-bikes, we ride them responsibly. 
we're, we were going to come to Tucson, but uh, unless you fix this, we're not going to. That's the kind of stuff that helps. Got it. Great. Thanks for starting that ball rolling because uh, it's had a noticeable impact to add to the momentum of the sense locally that this is an idea whose time has come. Awesome. Well, I'm glad, like I said, it was completely by accident. It wasn't planned. It's just one of those things where it just kind of happened. All the pieces fell together. And uh, if I wouldn't have made that, we probably wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast today. So I'm, I'm glad that it worked out the way it did. And I probably wouldn't have the book. So <laughs> yeah. all of that. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you very much, Randy. Just one last question I have for you then, because I've already got a copy of your book. So if somebody wants one of these right now, where where do you recommend? Where's the best place for them to pick one up? Well, there's two ways you can do it. If you're local to Tucson, there's a number of bike shops that stock it. And uh, <laughs> there's actually a brew pub, Catalina Brewing, <laughs> that has it. Okay. It's the, uh, sort of the local hangout for a lot of the mountain bikers in the northwest part of Tucson. Got it. That was my most exciting book signing there. I think we sold 35 or 40 copies that day. Awesome. But there's a bookstore considering it right now called Antigone Books uh, in downtown Tucson. And uh, But the other place you can get it, of course, is Amazon. They're sort of ubiquitous when it comes to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things that Amazon encouraged me to do, which turned out to be a real positive thing, was I developed an ebook version, uh, a Kindle version of the book. Okay. And what's interesting is everybody asks, well, when are you going to do an app? And I said, have you looked at the Kindle version? Because you can swipe from map to map in the Kindle version and do a pinch zoom, zoom in, zoom out, mm-hmm. read every single book and cranny on the loop. And for, you know, for nine bucks, it's like having a having an app that has everything on the loop and in the book. Awesome. Well, that would be great even if somebody has the the physical copy put that one on their phone and while they're out riding, they can pull that out and look at it and see, hey, is there something close by or somewhere we can go from here and and, uh, pull it all up? Because it seems like your book is the most complete resource. So that's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it it wasn't something that was planned. But when I I downloaded my own Kindle copy and I looked at it, it goes, and this works just almost like 80% (laughs) of the value of an app without it being an app. So Right. Yeah, that's great. Plus you get the entire book too. So that's all a good thing. But thanks for asking. Yeah, it's uh, and it's interesting that sales uh, it was pretty popular as a Christmas stocking stuffer. You know, even after Christmas, sales have still continued to be uh, pretty brisk. So I've been I've been very happy about that. Well, thank you very much for putting that together and for your time on the podcast today. When you get down here, we'll take a ride. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate anybody who's doing anything to promote just e-bikes, getting outdoors, being healthy. All of that uh, is good, and and I think you've probably done more with this book than you know. I think this is going to be something that's going to help a lot of people for a long time to come. Yeah, it's nice when everybody gets a positive uh, outcome from it in one form or another. So mm-hmm. I have a friend that says, you're going to be a millionaire when this book comes out. And I said, yeah, I'm more like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's, there's, like you said, selling hundreds of copies. Uh, hopefully that will turn into thousands soon. And uh, we'll just see what happens from there. Awesome. Thanks again, Randy, for your time. Anything else you want to tell our, our listeners for today? Just get out there and ride because it sure beats sitting on the couch. And uh, <laughs> if you can get out in the wintertime, especially, it's just uh, nothing like it. You, like you say, there's something magical about getting out there. And I put a note in the uh, preface of the book that the loop is a long, continuous thing. It's almost like getting out on a river in a canoe. And uh, even though you're in the middle of an urban metropolis, it's almost like you're sort of out in the, in the wilderness and to some degree. 
Awesome. Well, it sounds like a ton of fun. A little bit jealous of everybody that lives right there so close to it. But at the same time, I know we're lucky to have some some awesome off-road trails right where I'm at too. You got to pick somewhere, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Just make the most of where you're at. Well, thanks again, Randy. I appreciate it. Again, for everybody listening, make sure to go check out The Loop, whether that's in person at the actual trail or Randy's book on Amazon. It looks like a great resource. Like I said, I've got a copy in my hands right here, uh, and it sounds like it's only going to get better from this point. So appreciate him for doing that. Uh, And for everybody else listening, uh, if you're not on our email list for the podcast, you can do that by going to ebikepodcast.com. All we're going to do if you sign up for that is send you emails about new podcast episodes. Uh, Occasionally, there might be some other information about sales or deals or new bikes or things, but primarily that is for this podcast right here. So again, that is ebikepodcast.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will talk to you on another Tuesday. Tuesday.